they had to come together and form their own advocacy groups. They had to demand that their elected officials hold public hearings, listen to them, hear their concerns. And they've done all of that successfully, but yet the people that represent them in the legislature have turned around and done nothing to help them. The communities of Marinette and Peshtigo in Wisconsin's northeast corner have been ground zero for PFAS pollution in the state after it was found that the chemicals, also known as forever chemicals, have been leaching into groundwater from a nearby firefighting training facility. My colleague Oliver Redston went to Marinette to talk with local residents about the crisis. From Clean Wisconsin, this is State of Change. I'm John Drusen. Oliver, you went to Marinette last summer to talk with local residents there about their experiences with PFAS pollution. Give us a sense of the community there. Sure. So Marinette is a small town just north of Green Bay, and it's maybe best known, at least to the rest of the state, for its relationship to the water. It's home to the Marinette Marine, which was and still is a prominent builder of naval warships. And as you might guess, the people there also have a really close relationship with the water. So the city of Marinette is actually bordered both by the Menominee River and the Bay of Green Bay. So things like fishing, swimming, boating are really central to the way of life. But when you talk to people who live there, as I got to do last summer, they'll also tell you that Marinette is a very tight-knit community and it's a place that's very family-oriented. So I interviewed a couple named Chuck and Cindy Boyle who actually raised their family in Marinette. My love is the water here. You know, I love to, love to go over to Door County. I love to look out at Door County. This area is so remarkable. The scenery is incredible. We have this enormous amount of water, natural resources. It's absolutely beautiful. But the people here are really, really warm. They're really friendly. They're hardworking. And it's a great place to raise a family. And it's something to be really treasured and valued. So Marinette, it's a big factory town and it's been that way for years. You mentioned the shipbuilding industry that's been a mainstay of the community for a long time, but it's also home to a firefighting, manufacturing, and testing facility that's been a part of the community for many years. That's right. And the history of manufacturing fire products in Marinette actually goes back almost 90 years. So it started with the Ansel Corporation, which was founded in Marinette. And beginning in the 1930s, Ansel began manufacturing fire suppressants and quickly became one of the premier fire suppressant brands in the entire country and a major employer in this area. And then in 1990, the Ansel brand was acquired by another big corporation called Tyco International, which is now a subsidiary of Johnson Controls International. And Tyco really started to build out one particularly popular fire suppressant product known as AFFF foam. And it's these foams that have been at the center of the issues that people in Marinette have been experiencing. Exactly. So these AFFF foams are the fire suppressant product that they use for really powerful fires that can't be put out with water. So things like industrial and chemical fires, or for example, if jet fuel were to catch on fire, firefighters would use AFFF to put it out. And in order to extinguish those really powerful fires, the foams rely on something called per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, 
which are more commonly known as PFAS. And what exactly are these PFAS compounds? So PFAS are a group of man-made compounds that were first created in the 1940s, but they really started to see widespread use for the first time in the early 1950s when DuPont started to buy this technology from 3M to make Teflon, which you've probably heard of. And the thing that DuPont liked about PFAS was that these compounds were extremely resistant to breaking down, which, as you can imagine, made for a really effective coating for Teflon products. The problem with PFAS was that the compounds were also very resistant to breaking down in the environment. And not only that, they were highly toxic. Here's Darcy Foss from the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. It's a fast-spreading contaminant. It moves into people's private wells, into public water and things like that, and our surface waters. So I think that's why they're a big concern right now. So PFAS have been linked to a number of extremely serious health consequences, ranging from decreased birth weights in babies all the way to multiple kinds of cancer. So you have this company, Tyco Fire Products, owned by Johnson Controls, testing these firefighting foams at their training facility in Marinette. And these foams are filled with chemicals linked to serious health issues. So once they've used these foams in their tests, where does it go? How has it been getting from their property into people's drinking water? So that's the problem because it's spread in a lot of different ways. So when Tyco would test the foam on their property, it seeped into the soil and it also got into the surface water like streams. So some of the creeks around the plant have actually been shown to have PFAS levels literally hundreds of times higher than what is considered safe. And they were also flushing some of the foam down the drain and that eventually got to the water treatment facility in Marinette. And that's where it gets really bad. So it's commonplace for water treatment plants to give treated sludge or what's called biosolids to farmers to fertilize their crops. And that's exactly what was happening in Marinette. So in spreading those biosolids, which contained PFAS, the contamination was essentially spread way outside of just the area around the Tyco complex and out to the environment miles away from the source. So not only is there concern that this contamination has now been spread around a huge radius in this community, but there's also the fear that it has been at least partially absorbed by some of the crops that were grown in those farm fields. So how has this issue been impacting residents in Marinette and the surrounding communities? Well, I think they'll tell you it's been life-changing. You know, you can understand they feel like their futures have been stolen by this big company. And, and I think they also feel that Tyco Fire Products and Johnson Controls International have not really made a good faith effort to fix the problem. You know, Cindy and I have worked very hard to get where we're at today. And we've been very fortunate to uh, acquire all these properties back in here. And we certainly felt as though, you know, this would really be nice for the kids to have and the grandkids to come back to. And um, I'm not so sure we feel that way right now. And you work really, really hard to do everything right, to make sure that, you know, financially you can sustain that and to build your dream correctly. And we did everything right. And then this comes up and it's just like, it just makes me wild because it took every choice we had about this away. I live in the constant worry that the property is going to be devalued 
that changes the game significantly. I have the constant worry, as does Chuck, that it's not a safe place for our children to be, you know, playing. It's completely changed the utopic view I had of what we built. And it makes me really mad because it was taken away. What was it taken away for? Corporate greed, their profit, end of story. You know, they don't feel hurt and impacted by it personally. We are hurt and impacted by it personally and emotionally, and it's awful. So in covering this PFAS crisis, I've actually gotten to know a lot of the people in this community pretty well. And what I've seen is that there's a feeling of fear among a lot of people for the futures of their kids and their grandkids. Because so many of these possible health risks associated with PFAS are still unknown. So I interviewed one woman named Ruth Kowalski who lives just outside of Marinette in the town of Peshtigo. I'm appalled, just appalled because they know that I, for myself, not so much for children, how dare they? I don't let my grandchildren bathe here anymore. I, and we wash all the dishes with the bottled water before they're here. I don't want them because to me, children are the ones that are gonna be most likely hurt the most by this. So obviously you can hear the overwhelming feeling of despair in Ruth's voice. But one thing that I will say is that there has also been a really strong movement that has grown out of this crisis. Neighbors in this community have really banded together and they formed a group called SOH2O, which stands for Save Our Water, in order to demand solutions of lawmakers. And in my opinion, that citizen advocacy played a huge role in bringing this issue into the public consciousness. But even to this day, they're still fighting an uphill battle. So what recourse do people have, people like Ruth Kowalski and Chuck and Cindy Boyle, for their wells being polluted with PFAS like this? So because there's still so much we don't know about these chemicals, there really aren't laws in place right now that give state agencies the ability to effectively regulate PFAS like they can other chemicals. So the DNR is moving ahead with formulating health-based standards, but the reality is that's going to take a long time, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 30 months. And that's why I think it's so important that the state legislature do something, because they have the power to help clean up this mess right now and to make sure that people in this community and around the state have clean water. Carly Michaels is the Director of Government Relations for Clean Wisconsin. She's been leading our organization's efforts to advocate for PFAS-free drinking water. She's also a Marinette native and knows many of the people impacted by this drinking water crisis. So Carly, we, we heard from Oliver that people like Chuck and Cindy Boyle and Marinette are really struggling to have clean water. Uh, the PFAS issue has been on the minds of legislators in the state capitol for quite a while, for many, many months. What sorts of policies have we seen come out of the legislature? There have been quite a few policies in the legislature this past 2019 and into 2020. It all kind of started off with the Water Quality Task Force being announced and a focus being put on PFAS. Um, one of the first things was Senator Hansen, who represents the Boyles and Marinette, introduced something called the CLEAR Act, and that was one of the most comprehensive PFAS bills in the nation. And that's Senator Dave Hansen, 
um, from Green Bay, right? Yes. Um, so the, the Water Quality Task Force, just to kind of recap that, was a um, after some testing of wells in southwest Wisconsin, um, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, on future podcast episodes. Uh, after that testing came out, the Speaker of the State Assembly, Robin Voss, announced this kind of bicameral uh kind of legislature-led task force to look at water quality issues in the state, right? Yeah, I think that study really shocked a lot of legislators that they had such terrible water quality problems in their own backyards, in their own districts, affecting people that they represented. And, you know, they really felt the heat and they needed to do something, and they created this task force. And The task force met for almost an entire year and traveled the entire state and had a bunch of public hearings, heard from hundreds of residents in the state on what they cared about most relating to water pollution. And PFAS was one of those issues that people were really concerned about and that the legislators were were focused on. Um, And not quite so much from that task force, but just as a bill that some legislators put out, um, it was the... The CLEAR Act, right? Yeah, the CLEAR Act kind of came about because of the Water Quality Task Force and the renewed focus on PFAS, but really because of the issue in Marinette and all of the stories and the constituents and residents kind of all coming together and saying, you know, we don't want any more inaction. We're demanding that our representatives do something we deserve clean water. I think they got sick of relying on bottled water to cook all of their food. It, it's really not fair to them, and it's not fair for them to have to wait. So could you go into what the CLEAR Act would do a little bit? Sure. So the CLEAR Act, like I said, is one of the most comprehensive PFAS bills in the nation in that it addresses more PFAS compounds. So it addresses six different types of PFAS, um, and it addresses more media than most other states' PFAS bills. So it looks at drinking water, groundwater, surface water, air emissions, solid waste, beds of navigable streams, soil, sediments. It really tries to capture everything. And the CLEAR Act, which which was introduced by Democrats in a kind of an honest way, had a little chance of being passed by Repu- the Republican-controlled legislature. But we did see legislation after the CLEAR Act was unveiled that had components of the CLEAR Act in it that addressed PFAS pollution. And that that legislation was supported by members of both parties, right? Yeah, so the CLEAR Act, like you said, was a Democrat-supported only bill. It was endorsed by Governor Evers. Um, the DNR secretary had also endorsed it. Um, but it was that big, bold, capture-everything type PFAS bill And once that came out, I think, you know, legislators on both sides of the aisle said, okay, we need to sit down and we really want to address PFAS because it needs to be a bipartisan bill. And they had worked on what we're now calling the compromise PFAS plan for months. And it does contain components of the CLEAR Act, but it also kind of goes its own way. And it really is a compromise bill. It's not everybody on either side got everything they wanted. Um, but it really does get at addressing PFAS pollution. So what what are some of the components of that compromise bill? The compromise PFAS plan, it only looks at two compounds, so PFOA and PFOS, which are the most um, 
readily understood, easily tested for, and um, heavily occurring chemicals of the entire umbrella of PFAS. Um, so it only looks at two. It provides $7.7 million, which I think is not insubstantial. It's, it's a significant amount of money. It provides funding for research, cleanup efforts, staff at the DNR and DHS. Um, it gives DNR necessary authority to start looking at things like air emissions, surface water standards, and it does a pilot testing program for blood and cancer in Marinette, Peshtigo, and Porterfield, which is kind of the epicenter of where all this stuff is going on. And these were two bills, and both of the bills had um, hearings in the Assembly Committee on the Environment, and that committee had approved these bills, and it was ready to be voted on by the full Assembly. Um, Then what happened? Yes, so the compromise plan is two bills. It's the policy side and the funding side of of what happens in that bill um it passed both the senate and assembly public hearings um there was a lot of support constituents drove all the way from marinette and pesh to go to come and testify on them in favor um really compelling heartfelt testimony went the entire day i think it was like eight or nine hours long um and there was really a lot of movement behind it, and we were hopeful that it was going to get to the assembly floor and get passed. But what ended up happening was it was not put on the calendar, and the assembly had committed to their last session day, and that being it, they were never going to come in again. So it. So that last session day was Thursday, February 20th. Yes, and we were very disappointed to not see any... PFAS compromise plan provisions on the calendar. Um, But at midnight, 1130 that day, amendments started flying on PFAS and they were not good amendments. And one ended up passing on a party line vote supported by just Republicans on a completely unrelated bill that doesn't really move the needle at all on PFAS. So what does this amendment do? Um, So the amendment does a couple things. First, it requires the UW, which under a different bill, created a freshwater collaborative. Um, So it requires this freshwater collaborative to do a study on the health effects of PFAS. So this language is pretty similar to what is supported by other industry groups, and it seems to be in line with their attempts to restrict the current health-based PFAS standard that was recommended by DHS. At best, the study would be duplicative, but at worst, it undermines the current rulemaking process on PFAS that's currently going on in the DNR. So it actually limits DNR's cost recovery authority. And this essentially is DNR's ability to recover costs for testing, investigations, and providing temporary clean water to residents that have contaminated water. Usually this cost recovery is from a responsible party who is you know, the source of the contamination. Under this amendment, it limits DNR's ability to only get cost recovery from a party who has used firefighting foam. So this essentially doesn't get at parties that may be manufacturing PFAS and there's a spill. 
It doesn't get at other groups other than those that specifically use firefighting foam. And that looks like places in Manitowoc and Chilton where there's sites that are manufacturing facilities and they have spills that instead of, you know, holding local taxpayers harmless for the cost of these cleanup efforts, the DNR doesn't really have that authority to recoup the cost of that. So the state assembly, which could have passed two bills that had bipartisan support to really start to tackle the PFAS problem in places like Marinette and Peshtigo, but also places like La Crosse, uh, Rhinelander, Madison, that have also seen a number of PFAS-related issues come to light. They could have done that, but instead they did nothing, essentially, right? Right. There, you know, There's over 30... PFAS contamination sites already identified in the state. Um, as we start to look for them, we know that they're going to be increasing. So instead of, instead of making the commitment to doing something and prioritizing PFAS as we're learning more and more about where these contamination sites are, they instead did something that does nothing, but it actually limits some of the agency's ability to protect our sources of water. So now what? What happens to the folks around the state who are left with PFAS in their water and without any legislative solutions? Yeah, that's that's the frustrating part of all of this is the assembly has not committed to come in and do anything else. This is kind of their their failure of an attempt to address PFAS. Um, I think, unfortunately, we're going to have to wait until next session, and that is a huge missed opportunity on the legislators, what the legislators could have possibly done is they're just punting PFAS until next session. So they're going to have to wait until 2021. And that means that the people who are dealing with this problem will also have to wait for real solutions um, to the drinking water problems that they're seeing. Yeah. And, you know, residents in these areas and in Marinette, but other areas in the state have been unknowingly drinking PFAS contaminated water, and now that they're just learning about it, the legislator had you know this great opportunity to do something and pass a great compromise plan that had bipartisan support, and instead they couldn't rally around it, and they instead passed something that not only does nothing but actually gets in the way of solutions to PFAS pollution. Carly, you grew up in Marinette. It's your hometown. What does it mean to you that your neighbors, people you know, are not only at the center of this issue, but are now left without any real solutions as the legislature wraps up its work for the year? Yes, I am from Marinette. Um, I get to talk about this professionally and personally. Um, it, you know, it it's frustrating, and I know how people up there feel, but I know that they're not, you know they know what they want. They know what they need. They're going to not give up. They had to come together and form their own advocacy groups. They had to demand that their elected officials hold public hearings, listen to them, hear their concerns. And they've done all that successfully, but yet the people that represent them in the legislature have turned around and done nothing to help them. And I think that's only going to, you know, feel the fire of what is going to come from them. Um, Unfortunately, it seems like there isn't a legislative solution that is going to come out in 2020. 
Um, there's a lot of things going on at the state agencies at DNR with rulemaking, but that that takes time. And unfortunately, people that are relying on bottled water to cook their food and drink water, have access to clean, safe water, they don't have help right now. Carly, thank you. Thanks. This episode was produced by Oliver Redston and me. Special thanks to Chuck and Cindy Boyle of SOH2O, Ruth and John Kowalski, Darcy Foss of the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, and Carly Michaels of Clean Wisconsin. The state Senate is holding their final floor period of the legislative session in late March, and they could take up the problematic PFAS legislation that was passed by the state assembly. You can tell your state senator to vote no on this bill and instead support the bipartisan compromise PFAS bill by going to cleanwisconsin.org act. Be sure to rate our show and give us a review. It helps other people find us. If you like State of Change, you can help support our podcast and our work to protect Wisconsin's environment at cleanwisconsin.org donate. This is State of Change. I'm John Drusen. Thanks for listening.